Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Uncharted Careers. This week, I have Chad Montgomery joining me to discuss his many professional experiences from going to trade school and becoming a construction estimator to starting a side business with his wife writing a parent blog, Parent Intel. If you're looking for inspiration to take learnings from an existing job and pivot to something new that brings in more of what you want and leaves behind parts that aren't working for you, this is a really great episode to listen to. And if you enjoy Uncharted Careers, please rate and review my podcast wherever you listen. My big positive thing that I focus on every day is just uh, doing the best that I can for my kids and my wife. Um, been through a lot in my life and stuff so far. So um, yeah, that's what gets me through every day is uh, focusing on the doing the best I can for them. And how many kids do you have? I've got three. Okay. How old are they? Uh, six, four, and three. Oh, wow. Okay. There's yeah. a lot going on in your house then. <laughs> yes, a little bit. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Um, let's start off by talking more about what you do today professionally. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a construction estimator uh, right now for a general contractor. So day to day that just involves um, uh, pricing projects, budgeting projects. Um, we, The company I'm with um, focuses mostly on residential and commercial work. And I specifically work on what they call special projects. So it's mostly projects kind of 2 million and under, but um, kind of more of the unique one-offs that uh, kind of require their own research or own uh, ways of tackling them that aren't standard with everything else that we do. Um, so that's where I am now. How did you get into construction estimating? Uh, so uh, my third time back to school, <laughs> um, I ended up going to a program uh architectural and building technology uh, here in Vancouver. And um, it's kind of a catch-all program that they've got locally here for anything to do with construction careers. And my wife had done it uh, three years before I had, and mm-hmm. she had it, it all that well for her. She had a great career. So um, I was an ele- apprentice electrician at the time, and we were talking about having a family. So uh, we wanted something a little more stable because layoffs with especially in trade jobs can be, can be brutal. So, um, we, yeah, decided to go back to school and, um, and that's how I ended up in construction estimating. What was really attractive to you with construction estimating outside of the stability? What were you excited to go back to school and learn how to do this for? Uh, well, I've, I've always enjoyed construction. So before that I was an apprentice electrician. I have always enjoy doing things with my hands, building things, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed finishing a project or, or doing some work and, and actually having something that you've actually produced out of it. The mm-hmm. problem was I've also got Crohn's disease. And so when it came to bathrooms, being on job sites, it wasn't the easiest thing to deal with. And then on top of that, just dealing with stability and everything like that. Um, I wasn't dead set on going into into estimating specifically, but the nice part about the program we went into was my wife started out doing uh, BIM, which is more 3D modeling type stuff. Okay. Um, 
you can go into project management or estimating or um, building science and, and material science and that kind of stuff, or even architecture if you wanted to follow down that path. So um, it was nice that going into that led to a lot of flexibility, which I liked a lot. So And then uh, after graduating, I ended up just getting a job uh, estimating for a glazing contractor doing um, commercial glass, basically. And um, so that's where yeah my kind of career in estimating started. And what kind of school did you go to for construction estimating? Uh, that was a technical college that we've got here in uh, called BCIT here in. Um, okay, how long is that program? Uh, it's a two-year accelerated diploma program. Uh, so basically, you end up taking about twelve classes a semester. Um, so it's it's full time, probably more than full time work. Um, but you take you know, full days from eight to five, schooling, more or less uh, Monday to Friday. And then, um, yeah, but then you're done in two years. So, And what's a non-accelerated program? How long would that typically take? I know they've got some back east in Canada here that are sim- they're kind of the equivalent and they are three-year programs. Okay. So it's a, yeah, it was a diploma that we ended up getting, which I think in the U.S. is an associate's degree um, mm-hmm. instead of a full degree, but yeah. What's the starting salary like for someone after they graduate with that degree? Uh, nowadays, with uh, the salary and, and everything after post COVID, um, it's up to probably in the sixty-five, seventy thousand range. Okay, um, yeah, that's it really, a good start. Really depends on where you end up landing. Um, one of the nice parts of that program is they encourage, the, or they have a mandatory practicum, and then in your last semester, they give you Fridays off to have a second practicum as well, and. I would say probably the majority of people get their their first job at a school from their practicums. Mm-hmm. Um, and so depending on where you land and, and who you pick for your practicum, um, I ended up with a trade contractor and the starting salary with a trade contractor is usually a little bit lower. If you're with general contractors, there's a little bit higher, but yeah. And where can somebody grow into when they do start construction estimating what are the development paths for somebody in that position yeah so um estimating and project management are fairly closely linked there's a lot of people that do a lot of switching back and forth between the two um so uh but for the most part estimating kind of leads to to more estimating uh just taking on more responsibility more um uh, scope of projects bigger projects that type of thing um, and then eventually that would lead to chief estimator. And then I see a lot of people switch between uh, project managing and um, estimating. Um, and if you do that, you kind of open up a pathway into kind of more senior roles and um, yeah, operations management and that type of thing. So, mm-hmm. What's been your favorite part of estimating? Um, I've always been a numbers focused person. Math was always my strong suit in school. Um, not that everything in estimating, I think that's kind of one of the uh, misconceptions about estimating is that it's all so math focused, but I would say it's actually probably more uh, relationship focused, uh, at least from the general contractor side of things. Um, but the with math being a strong background and that kind of stuff, I enjoy trying to find uh, more efficient ways of doing things or unique ways of looking at things, which is why I'm in the position I am now um, mm-hmm. with kind of these more unique projects is looking at different ways we can handle stuff that we haven't seen before or different ways that, that projects could be tackled, at least from our estimating standpoint. Yeah. Tell me more about how it is so relationship focused. Is it that 
it, you are really managing the relationships of the clients that you're working with? Or are you managing the relationships of other vendors? Do you um, get the best estimates? Um, tell me more about that relationship building piece. Yeah. So with with at a general contractor, uh, all of your pricing more or less comes from your, your trade contractors that you're going to um, involve on the project. And so there's a very small portion of a, of a project is actually estimated by your own company. Um, and it's just basically uh, site setup and site management fees. But after that, everything that happens on the project all comes pricing from somebody else. And so unless you have great relationships or uh, and, and a wide range of relationships with a lot of different trades, you're not going to get great pricing. Uh, because at any given time, somebody might be too busy to take on work. And so even if you have one great relationship with um, a trade for, say, an electrician, um, if you don't have three or four there, then if one gets busy, you're, you're pricing, you're going to lose a lot of jobs because your pricing is higher. Um, so, yeah, relationships are everything. Just even people giving you a heads up about something being unique or missing or because uh, drawings aren't perfect and and even the the kind of standard documents we get for doing estimates are never perfect. And uh, so having a great relationship, they'll give you a heads up on this is wrong, that's wrong. Um, keep a uh, heads up that you're going to have to carry something extra on in another trade for, um, I can't even think of specific examples right now, but it's a discussion to have pretty regularly. And, um, and then also just, yeah, being able to actually ask for favors because there's always times where you need something in a, in a crunch or you need something in a rush or, and if you've got somebody that you that you know well, then you can call them up and, and actually talk, have that conversation with them. But yeah, so it seems like the longer that you would be in estimating, the more relationships you're able to build and cultivate, and probably the more successful you can be. Are p- folks staying in that role for the entire duration of their careers? Yeah, and in Vancouver, especially right now, I'm not so sure about everywhere else, but in Vancouver, especially right now, there's a huge shortage of senior estimators and that's one of the big problems is that yeah when a company hires an estimator they know they're getting all of the relationships that come with that Mm -hmm. and um and that is a thing if i was at a trade contractor before and that was something that they kept tabs on was a friendly guy went from this company to this company like we now we've got an in at that company and and Mm -hmm. as people moved around so um yeah it's something that people tend to stay with and senior estimators get paid a lot of money and a lot of that has to do with um with the relationships Mm -hmm. because you're paying for all of that experience and the relationships that they have exactly yep Mm -hmm. got it interesting tell me what a typical day looks like for you so what time are you starting to work what are you actually doing what are you checking on are you working from home typically are you on site at all what would just an average day look like for you yeah so my role is pretty unique. Um, and then my company is also quite unique. So that was one of the big reasons I made the move in January to the company I'm at now is they're a totally employee focused company. Okay. Um, so I'm 50, 50 hybrid now, which is fantastic. Um, and so, and then, uh, I do a lot of site visits. I don't really have a typical day. Um, I do a lot of projects each year because my projects are on the smaller side. So I do a lot of site visits, which involve, um, before we actually estimate a project, they bring the uh, people that are going to be bidding on that project out to the site to get an idea of what's all involved, any special circumstances there might be, and that type of thing. Um, And so you go out there, meet the owner, and take a look around the site, make any notes, and take some pictures. 
Um, and then you make another appointment to come back with all of your trade contractors to show them what it's going to look like. And um, so I do those. So I'm out on site uh, just for kind of visits, not so much on actual construction sites uh, fairly often. And then, yeah, I'm ha home half the time. So uh, mm -hmm. that's kind of, kind of my days right now. Yeah. What's been your least favorite part about estimating? Uh, I am a massive introvert. So <laughs> the relationship part has been uh, one of the bigger struggles, but uh, I'm not so bad when it comes to one-on-one, -on -one, uh, but when they have me go to networking events or that type of thing, that's where I struggle because, yeah, uh, it's not my strong suit. What kind of networking events are there? Uh, the most recent one was a Meet the Generals event, they called it. So we've got a, a traded, uh, Construction Association, um, Vancouver Regional Construction Association, and it's, uh, there's dozens of members of that. And uh, they had us all set up, all the general contractors set up a booth in a, a convention hall and invited all of the different trades in the region to come out and uh, introduce themselves and, and talk to each one of the general contractors there. So it was kind of a one stop for, for them to come meet everybody. So, Yeah. How many conferences are you going to each year and exhibiting at? Uh, well, I've only been there for about seven months now or eight months now. Um, so I've done that one. I'm going to a golf tournament uh, next week. And they had me out at another event um, a couple weeks before that. That was a, just kind of a dinner thing. But they also open up basically uh, the, the trade associations and the construction associations have a lot of events that are kind of optional to attend, but the company pays for anything that you'd like to go to. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, I need to be going to more of those. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It gets easier over time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said that this was the third time you were going back to school. Tell me more about the other um, degrees that you've gotten or experiences that you've had where you, um, before you've made this shift into construction estimating. Yeah. So um, way back in probably grade eight, grade nine, I was, I was always big into sports and I ended up um, injuring my leg and, and I had to go to physiotherapy for it. And I thought it was the coolest thing that this, the doctors didn't know what was going on, went to physio and they fixed it. So um, from grade nine on, I was going to be a physiotherapist and that's just what oh, it was wow. going to be. Um, I always did well in school. I was straight A's and everything. So it was kind of no doubt, like if I wanted to do it, I was just going to do it. And I ended up getting to university and um, I ended up failing at a university. Um, and that's where I kind of discovered I was going through a lot of anxiety and depression issues. So um, so I took some time off after that and, uh, I was a delivery driver for a bit and I did a few other odd jobs in between, um, and ended up, uh, hearing about being an electrician and, and the school, there's a, the IBEW union, local union here has a school attached to their branch. So, um, I ended up applying to that and getting in there. So I did that school, which was a, I think it was a few months long. It was a little bit longer so that you got some hours towards your apprenticeship as well as part of it. And, uh, and then they set you up with your first, um, your first apprenticeship, um, company. So I went and did that. I got my level one ticket for apprentice electrician and I did that for about a year and a half before I decided I was going to go back to school. So, okay. what do you like about being an electrician? Uh, that part was the nice part of being on, on site. I was always an active person growing up. So actually being on your feet and getting to do things was nice. Um, mm -hmm. It gets difficult when you're sore, like <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. You still got to do it. But um, it was nice actually being up on your feet and having something to show for what you've done at the end of the day when 
you're estimating you might spend an entire day of just reworking a spreadsheet that looks like you did mm-hmm. barely anything throughout the whole day. But it was nice that no matter what you did on, on site, at the end of the day, you always had something to show for it. So. Yeah, you can see your progress. Yeah. What are the kinds of successes that you celebrate or where do you track progress or um, how close you're getting to the overall goals of the project in construction estimating? Uh, so for estimating point of view, it's there's mo- kind of two milestones is uh, the project award. Um, so a lot of the projects I do are competitive bids where you're actually bidding uh-huh. against somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not necessarily the standard nowadays. Uh, a lot of the projects we do, at least in the other department, are uh, construction management where the project is awarded during a proposal phase, but not during the estimating phase. And then the estimating phase is uh, done as more of an open book, which I've done these as well. Um, so you're going to be awarded the project, but you do it kind of more of an open book where they get to see all of the trade quotes and and all of the fees that you're carrying. Um, and then it's kind of a more of a negotiated amount based on that. Um, and then, but for a lot of the projects I do that are competitive against another general contractor, uh, there's a pretty big milestone in celebration if you win a project um, in a competitive tender. And um, so that's kind of the first step. And then there's a, it gets passed over into our operations team after that. So a project manager will take it over and they issue contracts and, and actually begin the project. So you don't really hear about it much at that point, but then we'll do a review at some point uh, after the project is nearing completion or at completion to find out how is the estimate compared to what actually happened on site and what we would need to be more careful of next time or uh, kind of reviews of how trade contractors performed and if we would want to work with a contractor again and that type of thing. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so kind of those two points are the big ones. Is there a certain margin of error that, error that you're targeting um, when it comes to the estimate versus what's actually spent? Uh, well, we always want to be on the plus side. Uh, we don't have necessarily, at least this company, yeah, we don't have a, a target number we want to be within, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of contingencies and that type of thing which go into an a estimate before closing, and that's all discussed with management, and there's a company strategy behind that on what risk items we want to take on, and if we're going to take on the risk, we want to be have the profit there to back up that risk, so um, there's always a possibility that something could go wrong, but we're trying to hedge our bets on to be on the right side of it by the end of the project. So, Yeah, that makes sense. And are you part of the proposal process? Uh, the proposals for construction management jobs are all handled by, we have a, an entire proposal team that handles those. Okay. Um, sometimes they ask us for input on projects we've done or, or other projects that we've been working on recently that might apply to that proposal. But uh, no, we actually got a dedicated team for that. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I know that you also now have a blog with your wife. Can you tell me more about your goals there and how that came to be? Uh, yeah, so um, kind of a long-winded answer. But yeah, so our, our goals eventually are just we would like to grow that to be a reliable second income that um, with three kids doing flights and traveling with them gets very expensive. So um, we've kind of been trying to have these different secondary incomes to come to have coming in because we want to be able to spend that money to go do whatever it is, traveling or, or hobbies or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, so that got started because I ended up taking, um, I ended up somehow learning a little bit about SEO. I thought the whole thing was very interesting. 
Um, and I was actually considering maybe starting an SEO company, at least on the side, um, initially. And I thought, well, I needed to at least prove out that I knew what I was doing before I was able to do that. So I thought I was going to start a website or two and, um, and do that to have proof for a company. And uh, I ended up decided, we ended up doing it. We liked it more than we thought we were going to. So we ended up just sticking with that instead of going with an SEO company at all. Um, and so that's kind of how we ended up here. Um, yeah, we ended up seeing a little bit of traction initially. We got very busy, so we kind of let it go for a bit. And I checked back in on Google Analytics and saw, well, actually, there's like a thousand people coming here, and I haven't touched it in like almost a year. So we, yeah, we picked it back up in April. So yeah, I think we published about a hundred articles since April. Wow. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. How did you start learning about SEO? Were you taking courses online or just reading certain articles? How were you learning about it? I, I, it was a, I feel it was a blog post I read somehow. I came across it and I thought the whole thing was interesting. And we had been starting doing a lot of different side projects, side hustles for extra money at that point anyway. And when I read about it, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if I could start a business doing that uh, or at least a side business doing that. Um, so I ended up looking into it and I did end up taking a couple of courses. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up learning more about that. That's awesome. And for anybody listening, SEO is search engine optimization. So it's the way that if you have a parenting blog, you want to show up on Google on the first search engine result pages. So you, there are certain words that folks might be searching to get to a blog like the one that Chad has. And that's how you look to optimize your website to be showing up on those result pages. And I think for anybody that is looking to create their own business or have some sort of online presence, SEO is really important. Can you talk more about what you think has been the most effective things that you've done to optimize your blog? Yeah, so uh, we've kind of tested out a bunch of different things to see what does work and doesn't work. Um, because, yeah, it, at least initially when we wrote our probably our first 50, we noticed that like it's really only five or so articles that are driving most of the traffic to your website. So we started testing out a bunch of different things on, um, but the, the kind of, I guess the biggest thing now is just trying to have, it, there, I think the stat is like there's 4 million blog posts that get posted on Google every day or indexed by Google every day. Mm -hmm. And so to stand out from 4 million other posts, you have to do something a little bit different or something a little bit better. Um, so everything we do now is even if it's a very simple question and answer that should that could be realistically answered in one paragraph, we try to take, if somebody's asking that question, what else would they want to know? Um, mm -hmm. If they're looking for the best pool, then also they're going to be looking for the best, um, I, I don't even take an example now of what was the article I'm writing, but yeah, basically if they're looking for a best pool, they're also going to be looking for, they might be looking for something about the safest way to take their kids swimming. They might be looking for the best mm -hmm. life jacket. They might be looking for, um, so we try to provide them, if they're there to look for one thing, what else are they going to be reading? What else are they going to be looking for to give them the best possible answer so that they spend, hopefully spend more time on our page reading through everything that they are curious about related to their initial question. And I believe that that shows Google um, that your, your content is valuable and helpful because they spent a lot of time there reading about what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And are you also reaching out to other websites or other blogs and looking for backlinks? Yeah, uh, a little bit. It's very time consuming. So I've been more focusing mm -hmm. on writing our own blogs. Um, but I do 
every once in a while send out kind of go through and and I don't try and uh, I don't send mass pitches to everybody because I feel like I've received them myself and you instantly know when you're getting a mass pitch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we. Um, yeah, we only target kind of websites we actually would like to be on. And um, yeah, so I actually write them a, a post about why I think I could do something well for them or something I could actually write for them that would be helpful. And so, yeah, I do oh, cool. the occasional guest posts. Um, I've done about three or four of them in the last month or two. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not something I'm spending. I would rather write articles for our site and try and build up our kind of our topical authority um, in Google's eyes that that we are the parenting expert that we say we are. Um, So we spend more time on our own articles than that each right now, but. Very cool. Are you also searching Google Analytics for keywords to be sure that you're including in your articles? Or are you just thinking about the type of person that is going to want to consume this kind of content and the types of um, searches or what would typically resonate with them coming from a similar mindset as you? Yeah, so my newest strategy now is not through analytics, but actually just through Google itself. Um, they give you now the people also search and the related searches at the bottom of the, the search results page. Um, so when I search a, a term now, um, best books for something or, or books for uh, for uh, kindergartners, something like that, uh, it'll also give you these related searches that are also related to this. And um, so then you know that Google's telling you this is something that people are actually searching. So whether we've ranked for terms that uh, keyword tools tell me are zero monthly search terms, but I get 100 or 150 people a month for those. Um, so, and like, that's not huge. It's not, but if you do that and you rank for an extra keyword in each article that you do, it adds up over time. So, um, and then we also believe that that's adding to our comprehensive articles because we're answering a bunch of the stuff that Google's saying people are also searching that they are saying it's related to that term that you searched. So we put together kind of our section, a lot of our sections that way by searching our main keyword that we want to rank for. And then we'll answer all of those questions or a lot of the questions that are relevant and those people also ask. And then once you go down to related searches, you can take some of those are applicable for sections. And if you actually click on those, you'll get more people also ask, and those could be subsections within the next section. So um, that's how we kind of build out our articles now. Yeah, that's such a great tip because, yeah, you're right. It's not only telling you uh, what keywords to use, but also giving you ideas on the con- kind of content that you can write or that would be relevant. Um, so I really like that tip. In the past, I would need to log into AdWords and search for keyword terms and location-specific terms to see what content would be the most applicable or the best to include, and it is just very time-consuming. Exactly, and then we're because we're in Canada. Uh, at least initially, we started to try and get some traction and not be in the massive competitive global or U.S. search terms. We were targeting more Canada-specific and. Ahrefs and SEMrush and stuff, they wildly underestimate the region-specific terms, especially if they're not commercial terms, because a lot of what they're pulling their data from is AdWords, which is only terms that people are actually submitting ads on. Um, so they, when it's just purely informational, their information gets usually seems to get a little bit less reliable. So, And then even more so when you're targeting Canada-specific keywords. So yeah, that's one of our 
How do you stay up to date on changing trends in Google? Um, because that's one thing that you can always bet on. Google is always going to be changing its algorithm and its, you know, products. And it is an, it, it's been hard for me, I think, to just even know when something has been updated. Is there, are there articles or websites that you're consuming that help you to stay up to speed? Yeah, I, I subscribe to far too many newsletters. <laughs> um, so I kind of pick up little things here and there. I don't use social media at all. So I don't really follow anything through there. Um, so yeah, it's mostly newsletters, uh, HRS blog, Backlinko, um, detail.com, those kind of places. So um, if you follow enough of them, you eventually get little tips enough from all of them to stay reasonably up to date. But um, I've only we've only really been trying to scale this since April, so we haven't had to deal with too much yet. But that'll become more of an issue as we go here. But yeah, yeah, that's helpful. And what are ways that you're monetizing your website uh, right now? Just ad um, ad network and and affiliates. Um, most of our stuff so far has been informational, so there's not a lot of affiliate stuff so far. But um, we'll see how that grows as we get some more authority and um, as we grow. Can you talk more about affiliates, what that means, and how you go about making those sorts of relationships and setting that up on a website? Yeah, so primarily right now, we're just using the Amazon affiliate program. Um, it's the easiest to use. It's the most trusted. We've tested some other ones so far, and one of the big ones we're on right now is Expedia. Um, but we get hundreds of clicks probably per month right now because some of our best articles are all in the travel section of our blog and um, just the conversion rate is basically non-existent for those. Um, whereas the conversion rate for um, Amazon, everybody knows Amazon. It's used in here in Canada. It's used in the US. Um, and so it's it seems to be much easier to just put in an Amazon affiliate link even if the affiliate commission rate is, is terrible. Um, we just found that even a couple of the other, um, we were, we've signed up through a couple of the um, affiliate networks, uh, CJ and um, where are the other ones now? Uh, Awin and ShareASale. But we found when we were using the, the specific affiliate programs for, we tested a few um, specific e-commerce store affiliate programs and we just found they weren't converting very well. And, I, I, it's just a hunch, but I, I believe it's because of the Amazon name is just known so well. When you land on that page, everybody knows tons of people have Prime accounts. It's just easy to click that button to buy. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're going to some site and you've got to pay shipping, you might need to wait a couple of weeks to get it. It's a much harder uh, sale to get. Um, and then the other nice part about Amazon is because it's used so much, uh, when I'm looking through our Amazon affiliate sales, uh, the number of products we sell that we've actually linked to is is very, very few. Um, but because people are buying so much on Amazon anyway, they end up, well, I'm here anyway, I need to also need to buy this. Like, we don't link to light bulbs anywhere on our account. We sold some light bulbs today. So yeah, <laughs> uh, just that type of thing. So yeah. What is a typical commission percentage if somebody does purchase something through Amazon from clicking from your website? It seems to be in about the 2 to 3% range for the categories we're in. Um, some of the items all of a sudden are, are much higher, but um, and then some of them are, are very few, uh, probably like a half a percent. But um, yeah, average is probably in the one to, uh, 2 to 3. 
Very cool. Well, I have one more question for you. Um, so I'm curious, what sort of advice do you have for somebody who may be starting off in their career based on the experience that you've gained in so many different fields with so many different priori- priorities and, um, you know, have having learned so much through even going through three different education? Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is, uh, I guess there's two things. There's The first thing is be careful when you're comparing yourself to other people. And I still get into trouble with this now. Um, I, if you t- were to take a look at my career from the outside in, it actually looks, it's, it's going pretty well. Um, the salary's good. I'm in a great company. Uh, the job, I enjoy it. And um, I'm only 32. I've got a family and I've gotten to this point. Everything's actually going pretty well. Um, but when you you feel like you're comparing yourself to a boss that's about the same age, he's making maybe even double what you are because he's ran up. But uh, just because somebody got lucky and got into the right career at the right position at the right time um, and they're doing well, you have to actually look zoom out, look at everybody. And um, just because you're not where you want to be today doesn't mean you won't be soon. And my salary ended up doubling in three years um, from where I was at. And it was just, it was pure chance. And you just, you can't rely on those things to happen, but they, you kind of make your own luck. The more you put yourself out there, the more good work you do, the more impressions you make, then suddenly things could change very, very quickly. Um, so that was kind of the first thing. Um, the second one was just that, um, flexibility has probably been like the biggest thing that I've learned to appreciate now. And, um, it's something I wish I had looked for earlier in my career, and I kind of unknowingly went into that with my choice of schooling. Was it was so nice to? It is nice having that degree behind me in the construction industry. Here, everybody knows what it is. If I wanted to go switch to project managing tomorrow, I'd have no problem doing it. Um, but the same thing with just the, the job and the career, and it's the level of stress that it. Um, it helps with by being hybrid now is just unbelievable, especially with kids um, to be able to uh, come into work late because I've got to drop our kids off at an appointment or take them to the doctor and I can come in late, but I can also work late because we're uh, hybrid now is, is massive. So um, flexibility would just be, would be one thing I wish I had looked out for earlier in my career. But Yeah. Having that work-life balance and being in, able to work at the times that work best for you is just so important and I think so helpful to having a really well-balanced lifestyle, especially when you have a family as large as yours. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Chad. I learned a lot. Thank you very much for having me. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.